Hey, church, happy Memorial Day to you. You all well? Awesome. want to greet everybody online, Speedway Campus, South Sanctuary. It's awesome to be with you celebrating those and remembering those that have given their lives for those freedoms that we so enjoy. So we just want to say thank you to you and to those of you who have had many in the military that have served on our behalf. So we're really grateful. We're landing this plane today in Creatures of Habit. We've looked at worry. We've looked at work and uh, what that looks like in the absence of taking regular weekly rest. We looked at anger last week with Steve Poe, the guy who inspired it all with his book, Creatures of Habit. And today, we're going to take on one more habit. And we're going to find that habit right in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you will, grab your Bible, go to your West Side app do whatever you can to, uh, to jump in with us here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 begins like this. Apostle Paul writes, that however is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body." You see what the, uh, what the habit is or might be? Anybody want to guess? Stretching the truth. Very good. Hey, how many of you have heard of Dr. William Moulton Marston? If you're familiar with the disc profile, he's kind of the very original inventors of that. But his greatest claim to fame is he invented Wonder Woman. And what has since come out, like now that he has passed, is much more of his private life. Dr. Marston uh, had a wife, had children, but through his master bedroom, through the bathroom of their master bathroom, he could go through a different door, and he had a mistress living on the other side. He also had a different mistress living in the attic upstairs. And all the children weren't all, it wasn't clear who was related officially to who, and none of the kids knew about it. Now, there's some irony here, one of which is that one of those women in that relationship was a columnist for a very conservative magazine called Family Circle. This is like back in the 1950s. And she wrote a column on parenting. That's kind of awesome-ish. Now, here's... The most fascinating irony, Dr. William Moulton Marston also invented the lie detector test. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, think of all the deceit, all the lies, all the subterfuge going on in their homes. The kids did not realize that any of like, they, they, they're like, wait a minute, we thought she was the nanny. I mean, all of that came out after his passing. Think about all the kind of, you know, doing like this for a lifetime. And he invented the lie detector test. And the irony actually is this, that if I'm honest with myself, I'm a lot more like Dr. William Moulton Marston than I want to admit. And I want to say maybe you are too. 
that it is easier to detect lies in others than to detect lies within ourselves. Would you agree with that? We get that lie detector out, like we can sniff it out sometimes more than likely, but to be able to look reflectively within ourselves and see where those falsehoods might be really difficult. In fact, let's just take a private assessment here in a moment. Like, like let's just take on the spectrum of, of uh, honesty to falsehood. You know, one is you're just super honest. You're like honest Abe. And a 10 is you're a pathological liar. Where do you put yourself on the scale? Not gonna ask you to raise your hand and do any of that, right? Just, just in your mind, where do you fall? You have a number? You guys have a number? One, honest Abe, right? Not an issue for you at all. You're just truthful all the time. 10, pathological liar. Where are you? You got an answer? Okay, good. Well, I'm just gonna tell you, you lie. You just, you just flat out lie. Here's what we know. At infancy, we start lying. Babies lie. At the age of four is when we really get good at it. It's, they, they literally have the term. It's uh, Machiavellian intelligence. And why at the age of four does it demonstrate actually brain development? Because you have to access different parts of your brain in order to lie. So some of you parents, you're like, wow, I feel so much better. <laughs> like, I'm doing great as a parent, right? Here's what else we know. That when asked and surveyed, are you in the top 50 percentile of good drivers? Guess how many said yes? 93% said they were in the top 50 percentile. When you go on a first date, guess how many lies you will tell within the first 10 minutes? between two and three. Now, uh, men are deceitful differently than women. Women will tell a lie to please other people. Men, why do we tell lies? To please ourselves, right? It's a, we've got, we've got issues, we've got more to do. Here's the point. We have an unconscious competency when it comes to lying. We're just really good at it. We don't have to work at it. It just spills out of us. And when we actually, when we go back to the text, this is actually what we find. If we go back to Ephesians 4, here's, if we get into the nuance of it, when Paul says in verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood, that word falsehood, it'll sound really familiar, pseudos, pseudos. Which, yes, it means a lie, but it also means not genuine. It can mean a sham. Do you get the sense of there's nuance here? Like, we tend to think of like a lie. It's like, it's either a lie or it's not. But no, there's all this gray in the middle. And that's the stuff I'm really good at. I'm good at pseudos truth. Right? In fact, I've thought of different lies. Like, I'm going to give you like seven pseudo lies that I've found myself telling over the years. And you just tell me if this is true for you, okay? And actually, we have a soundtrack for each one of these. The first one, embellisher. What does an embellisher do? Embellisher rounds up, right? So if the fish is like this, right, all of a sudden the fish becomes that. If you're a speaker or a pastor, it's like, and everybody was getting baptized when two only got baptized, right? I mean, that's the embellisher, all right? The next way that we pseudo lie, at least the way I pseudo lie, is the minimizer. What does the minimizer say? I'm fine. It's fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm totally fine. 
right? What are you doing? You're minimizing. You're not fine. You're actually really ticked off. Don't tell me you're not fine when, you, when, when you're clearly not, not fine. The, the, the person who's minimizing is constantly wanting to not fully bring maybe their pain, their frustration to bear. How about the third form of lie, withholder? The withholder is just going to kind of give you a little truth, but not the whole truth, right? Just going to dip it in to give the, that respectable modicum of honesty. But it's not true. They're just going to withhold maybe the last 5%, 10%, 2%, but they're not bringing the full truth to bear. How about the compartmentalizer? Compartmentalizer has truth in different buckets. What might be true at work isn't necessarily the same truth at home. What might be true among your West Side friends not quite the truth about who you are at the gym or at the coffee shop, whatever it is. You lack some form of integration in who you are and how you bring truth in all the various places. How about the optimist? I'm really good at this. The optimist wants it to be true. <laughs> Honey, I'm almost home. I really want that to be true. I do. I'm aspirational in my truth desires. It just happens to not be true, which is unfortunate, right? How about number six, the excuser, right? The excuser always begins the, the, the retort with, that's because. Late. Sorry, I'm late. Sorry, I'm late. There was a, no, you're not late. We didn't really. There's a bunch of traffic. Yeah, no, that, that's okay. okay, Jen. Sunday traffic is, oh, something else. The traffic on Sunday. Yeah. It's heavy. It's, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. The, it's the whole late. thing. Yeah. Well, the, 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 that, that's okay. I mean, I, yeah. Well, th thank you. You sure you just didn't allow yourself enough time uh, to get ready? Well, I mean, Try. kind of I thought we weren't doing it today. So I thought I kind of had the day off. It's been like real rainy. It's been real rainy. You notice that, right? It's been real rainy. So I've been doing rainy. a lot of gardening. And right. you know, with the weekend, I thought right. I thought yesterday, I thought today was Saturday, so tomorrow yeah. was Sunday. So right. I was just, you know, I was working, but I got here, so that's kind of the main the main thing. But really, when I start to think about it, it's on you because um, <laughs> because remember when we talked and you told me that you were going golfing, and Which, I thought, oh right, that means we are not doing it this week. I don't do the triangle thing. No, no, no. So, the, the golf was on Thursday, and. The e I mean, I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to, you know, back you in a corner here, but the email that I sent you on after golf on Thursday, you know, and then when I called you yesterday. So I'm just, I guess I'm confused how exactly this is my fault. Um, well, I mean, it, it, it pretty much is. And I can go back and kind of explain it again, or we could just... We could just agree to disagree on this one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here now, you yeah. have stuff to do, yeah. and we can just like right. say, hey, we're probably both right. Yeah. You know, I'm probably right, and yeah. I probably didn't communicate well. Like, you yeah. could say that. You could say, I didn't communicate well, yes. Jen. And yeah. so. I'm, I'm totally confused right now. Yeah. I have so, no idea what's going on. Well, but the, what I think is going on is you're, you're doing the seventh form of pseudo lying, which is sidestepping. I'm not no, I'm because just saying, let's move on either from you this. were, let's, I mean, again, I'm not trying to deposition you, but either you were late and, and you can own that or. You or seem we... like you're getting defensive. What okay. I'm saying yeah. is uh -huh. I just think you can move on and we'll, right. we'll be okay. Yeah. You don't need to worry. All right. about it. I forgive you. It's fine. I'm just going to head out. Thank you. Let's just thank Jen as she sidesteps the way out.
What does the excuser say? That's because oftentimes goes on the attack. Sidesteppers, you're just, you know, you're just moving around kind of in cloak and dagger mode. There are the seven pseudo ways in which we practice falsehood with one another. Um, did you recognize just any of those maybe tendencies within yourself, right? If we go back to the scale, right? Honest Abe, the pathological liar, anybody just want to go, you know, like, really? Like, I think so. This, this is in all of us. And I really, I really want to ask this question. From God's perspective, why would this be here in Ephesians chapter 4? Why would it go all the way back to the Ten Commandments? Here's another commandment, you know, shall not bear false testimony. Like, why is God after this? And in fact, from the whole series perspective, why, why is God not wanting us to have peace and not worry? Why is he wanting us to not be angry? And why does he want us to have rest and not just work our brains out? Like, what is God most after here? Is it a, a form of ethical compliance? Like, does he in the heavenly realm, he sit up there as a ledger, he's like, okay, Dan told this many truths, told this many falsehoods, and it's all gonna, we're gonna see how it bounces. Like, what is he most after here? What's the harm, and why does it matter? About a month ago, I was, in my consulting business, I had this, probably the, the largest prospect that I've ever had had the opportunity to do some leadership training with this Fortune 100 company. And I wanted everything to go just right, you know? Like, I wanted the onboarding experience, I wanted just everything to be super smooth, very seamless, and there was a problem. Ended up being my problem, as in user error problem with the, with the platform that we were using. And guess who found the problem first? The client. The head honcho boss sends me an email. Hey, Dan, all the data seemed to go away. Is that supposed to happen? And I found myself typing, yes, that's exactly how it goes. Because and then I stop and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lie. Like, where, where did that come from? And if I hadn't caught myself, it also goes, well, gosh, that came really naturally. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. But if I hadn't caught it, what would it have really impacted? Yes, the ethical nature of it, but I think there's something deeper here. And we're going to find it if we go back to the text. Like, what is, what is God most after? What is Paul most advocating for? We're going to see it in verse 25, and then we're actually going to work backwards in this text a little bit. So he says, therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your what? Neighbor. You see what he's saying here? Why, why do we tell the truth? Well, we're in relationship, interpersonally. But then he goes, for we are all members of one body. Now he's saying we speak truthfully because we're not only interpersonally connected to our neighbor, but we're actually part of a community. You see what Paul is doing here? He's making the appeal based on relationship. This isn't like God sitting up there, you better always tell the truth, Johnny. He's not, no, no, he's like going, look, because you're in relationship and God is most after relationship. Let me flip it around and ask you this question. Can you think of a time when you have been lied to? I guarantee that you can. You probably can even remember something that might have seemed somewhat trivial or petty. Some of us can, can think of things 
that were just the deepest violation to our soul. Let me just ask you, why does that stay with you? Why did that hurt so deeply? Why did it feel like it cut you off at the knees? Could be in a covenantal relationship, could be in a business partnership, could be with, with your son or daughter, and you realized they lied to me. You know what that feels like, right? And you know what that does in you? That severs relationship. Paul says, I want you to speak truthfully because we're connected to one another. Because relationship can only go at the speed of trust. And when we are dishonest, we undermine that trust. That from our relationship, we can only go, as Stephen Covey would say, at the speed of trust. And when we have trust, then we can really treasure what we have. And that can grow secure, grounded relationships. Intimacy. You see, God wants our relationships to thrive. And you know that sense of surprise? You're like, I didn't see that coming. It could be just, again, a little thing. It could be something that was uncovered over many, many years, like Dr. Dr. Moulton Marston. And it hits us at the deepest place. Now, what therapists would say, it's because we have what's called an honesty bias, which basically means that when given the opportunity, we will just tend to believe what we're told. We have a bias towards honesty, towards assuming honesty. Now, let's drill that down theologically. Here's what I believe that means. You and I, we were made for truth. We bear the image of God upon us. We were made for truth. In the midst of all of our brokenness, all of our unconscious competencies at lying, the deepest truth about you and I is we were made for relationship, we were made for truth. Those two things go together, and we actually see that in the text. Look at verse 24, that we're to put on the new self created to be like God. We bear his image. goes on to say, and, and we are to be like God, we are created to be like God in true righteousness. Now, what does righteousness mean? Well, here's what I always thought it meant. I always thought it meant, like, get your act together. I thought it meant pietistic, you know, compliance. I thought it meant ethical rightness. You know what righteousness believes at its core? This, if you, when I uncovered this, you know, when, when this was presented to me, it blew my mind. Because righteousness is all throughout the Bible. You know what it means? It means right relationship. Dikaiosune is what it means, the word in the Greek. Sedeca is what it means in the Hebrew. It means, as Pastor Jason Morris puts it, right usness. Righteousness, yes, does it have a component of living uh, uh, in response rightly out in our lives? Yes, but at its core, it's about being in right relationship, about a relationship flourishing. Isn't that powerful? And so all the time, it's like, I'm supposed to be righteous. I think that means I'm supposed to get my act together. Well, no, actually at the core, it means that I am to do relationships rightly. And do you see how truth is so important there? And in fact, if we take, uh, just drill down on righteousness, one, one more step, I want you to, to read from Timothy Keller, uh, author and pastor from New York City. Here's what he writes. This means then that biblical righteousness is inevitably social. 
because it is about relationships. When most modern people, that's us, see the word righteousness in the Bible, we tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer, Bible study. But in the Bible, tzedakah, that's the Hebrew word for righteousness, refers to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. We are to be like God in right relationship with others. And if you go all the way back to verse 22, we see this, excuse me, verse 21, that we were taught in accordance with the truth that is not about Jesus, the truth that is in Jesus. See, that's a preposition of location, which means that actually when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's talking about that he embodies truth. We know this about the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of truth. In other words, that truth is in the very character of who God is. And so when we are to be like him, we are to live in right relationships with others and and very truly by having the very spirit of Christ dwell within us, truth has to find its way. If we want our relationships to thrive, if we want our relationships to be repaired, if we want to grow in a sense of trust and security in those in which we walk with. Because if we don't, here's the impact. In all of the different kind of, in, in the full circumference of relationship, one, my relationship with myself, if I'm not truthful, I'm going to live from a constant sense of insecurity. Why do I lie? Why do I minimize, withdraw, right, withhold? Why do I embellish? Why do I? Because there's something unsettled in me. I feel like I need to either protect myself, self-preservation, or I need to self-present in a way that, that looks better because I don't really trust who I am. I have an insecurity deep within me. And if I am not truthful with you, what's that going to do between us? Isolation. What happened when that person lied to you? And some of you are still trying to work your way back from that lie. When falsehood enters in, it begins to move us apart. With God, go all the way back to the garden. It all began in a lie, right? We were promised a lie by by Satan, and we bit on it. And then all of a sudden we hid from God, we were fearful from God, we were ashamed and we blamed. We did all of it all, all these things. If your business blew up, if your marriage is struggling, all these things, they generally begin in a lie and they can be traced all the way back to a lie. With God, the experience is shame. And what about in a community, in a society, when there's, when there's a lack of truthfulness? Chaos. Chaos. And we're living that today, aren't we? We're experiencing that every single day. Can you see this in all the ways of your relationships, the insecurity within you, the isolation drift between another, the shame that we carry with God and the chaos in our country in our community, the chaos that can happen in a church, in an A2 community, when truthfulness doesn't reign, it's there. You know what I love about what Paul's doing here is he's echoing from the Old Testament, from a prophet, Zechariah. 
And, and many scholars would actually say he's rehearsing the very words of Zechariah, but in the context of the church in Ephesus. Look with me here. Here's what um, Zechariah writes, and you can see kind of the parallelism going on. But this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. And that word peace is shalom. And what is shalom? Right relationship in all the spheres of relationship between you and God, internally within yourself, one to another, and actually within all creation and all society. I love a different way that this gets paraphrased in the New Living Translation, that we would actually experience peace within our gates. Peace within the gates. Now, back in that day, everything went down at the gate. You know, when you would arrive into a city, there'd be people sitting around, right? And they would be talking about modern day events, they'd be talking about religion, they'd be talking about politics, they'd be doing all those things. Our modern day of the city gate is Twitter. Unfortunately. But when you would enter into a city, what is Zechariah saying? What is the Lord saying through Zechariah? What is Paul echoing? That truth leads to peace within your gates. So I ask you, do you want peace within the gates of your home? Do you want peace within the gates of your cube or your office or your place of business? Do you want peace within your A2 community, your small group? Do you want peace within your friendships? Do you want peace in your marriage? Do you want peace with your parents? That kind of flourishing relationship, that kind of trust that grows secure, grounded, intimate relationships. And what does that look like? Let me just give you a couple examples. One, your lead pastor, teacher, Randy Frazee. I gotta just tell you, I love his honesty. When we first started kind of hanging out, and you know, I'd kick him ideas, he kicked me ideas, and he always tell me this. I, and at first, it kind of made me go like, huh? He'd just say, Hey, Dan, here's the deal. Like, I'd love to help you with stuff, but I'm always looking for the triple win. It's got to be a win for Westside. It's got to be a win for you, and it's got to be a win for me. Now, that's very different in pastor speak. Most pastors say, Dan, I'm praying for you, and uh, whatever you need, let me know. But Randy's like, hey, I'm just going to shoot you straight. I'm going to be honest. Like, let's work together, but here's my grid. Got to really bless Westside. It's got to bless you, and if it's not going to bless you, I'm not in. But it's also got to be a win for me, too. There was something so um, refreshingly honest about that, that it's actually gained my trust. I just love watching him lead. Another friend, was, this was years ago, and I was sharing with him about something hard that was going on in my life. And he said to me these words. He said, I would like to remember to pray for you. <laughs> Isn't that great? How often we text, praying, not praying, right? I'll pray for you, never pray. I just love the refreshing, see how just in the simple ways, I mean, there's the deep, dark stuff, and that's got to come to light, but then there's just this way of being that's refreshingly candid and honest and transparent. Another friend and I, we, we gave ourselves a challenge. Let's tell our spouses one vulnerable thing every day. Can we do that? That's a way of honesty. But I got to tell you this, we can't do it by ourselves. 
You and I, we were made for truth, but we have this broken, twisted thing in us. And the worst thing that I could charge us to do today is like, go be honest, Abe, you know? Clean up your act. That's not, I think, the message of heaven for you and for me. And we actually see in the text what we're to do. Look here, Ephesians, back to Ephesians 4.23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. It's a different translation, but I think it really gets at what's going on. How do we walk from the old way of our habits, whether it is worry, whether it is anger, workaholism, or now lying? Well, it's not just buck up and, and do it yourself. It's actually, Holy Spirit, would you, would you bring a new level of sensitivity in me? Holy Spirit, would you bring an increasing sense of awareness? Holy Spirit, would you let me hear myself talk? I'm so grateful that I, I didn't send that email to the client. Told her I messed up. That's not right. Let me figure it out. Um, as of today, don't have the client. <laughs> but you know what I do have? I've got peace. And that's what the Lord wants for each and every one of us. And we're not perfect in it. There's so much grace around it. And that's why we come into a place of communion, reminding ourselves, God, I'm really a good liar, but you exist in all truth. You embody truth, and you died for all of my falsehoods and pretensions, all my embellishments and my withholding. And so we come, and you'll forgive me, I don't have the cup with you, so I will just mimic it. And I will encourage you to be very careful as you peel back so as to not spill grape juice over the person in front of you. If you are online today, uh, you have access to like a pantry and a fridge, unlike me in this moment. So I just want to encourage you to go find some form of bread, some form of cracker, some form of juice. And uh, we just always trust that whether it's out of a little plastic thimble or whether it's what you grab from your fridge, that it's the Lord that makes it sacred. As we remember him today, the one who has offered his life on our behalf for the greatest freedoms of eternity that we most enjoy. And so let's take from the bread, the bread that Jesus broke and said, remember me. Thank you, Zach as we remember his death on the cross. And in the same way, we remember how his blood poured out, the one who died and rose and today sits on the throne as Lord, the one who embodied truth and still embodies truth today, we take and drink. And so we say, Father, Son, Spirit, we say to the one triune God today that at the core of your deep heart is relationship. You invite us to remember all that you have sacrificed on our behalf so we could flourish in freedom with you. So come to us today, Holy Spirit, and renew a sensitivity to truthfulness, a sensitivity to what will grow trust with you 
and with others. In Jesus' name, amen.